Hi, and welcome to another edition of Taught Talk, where we take teaching theory and turn it into teaching practice. The topic for this Taught Talk is going to be the idea of organized chaos. Chaos in the classroom can be a really good thing. Uh, chaos means that kids are letting ideas flow, they're being creative, uh, they're being inventive, they're thinking outside of the box. Uh, and then, so this chaos usually produces better products, uh, better learning, uh, better student engagement. And so, but your, your chaos does need to be somewhat organized. Now, there are extremes to this organization. When I first started out teaching, classroom management was one of those things that any new teacher had struggles with. So I, had, I was very organized in my classroom. Students had assigned seats. They had to sit in the same seats in the same place every day. Um, and then it was me, you know, in front of the class, talking at them most of the times so while they sat passively in their, in their seats. And what I found after a few years is that this was not the best way for students to learn. Uh, for students to learn, they need to be engaged, they need to participate in what is going on, they need to be a part of the learning process. And so I started using a lot of project-based learning in my classroom. And in using this project-based learning, I had to embrace the idea of organized chaos, that students were going to be working on different things at different times, they were going to have different products, they were going to have different ideas, and I needed to give them the space in order to do those things. So what I'm going to be talking about are five strategies that you can use in your classroom to organize this chaos, to make sure that your that students are getting the best out of what they're doing but at the same time giving them the freedom to explore and to try some some really amazing things so the first aspect of an organized chaos is you do have to have a structure it can be a very loose structure but this structure is what is going to kind of be the focal point of of when students are working, they, they have this structure still to go by, even though they even though they might be going a lot of different pathways and trying a different a lot of different things and hitting a lot of different dead ends. There is a structure that they're using. So in my science classroom, I would lay out all six units for the year, and under each unit there were learning objectives that students had to show me mastery of in order to prove that they had learned that particular you know unit, and so they there were aspects of that that they had to have so they had to have a research aspect so they had to make sure that they were doing sound research and research that was um you know that that showed what that they had learned or that proved that, that whatever it is that they were trying to prove in that learning objective so they, there was a research aspect to it there was also a product aspect so they had to create a product and the product was usually a choice i had a menu board and they had the choice to you know, create a product as long as it showed mastery. So they just had to make sure that those learning objectives were covered by whatever product that they chose. Um, and then eventually they had to have this uh, checked over by someone else other than myself. So whether it, you know, it's running it by another student or a parent or another teacher or a mentor. So, and that was the, the, the structure I had to my science class. So even though I had 55 students working on different things at different times with different products and different timelines, um, it was very organized because of the structure that was involved in the classroom. So students knew what they were supposed to be doing and I knew what to expect of students because of the structure. So you can set your structure up however you like. I will say the more um, stringent your structure is, the less creativity you're probably going to get. So, but if you have to start with that and then kind of work and kind of lay off a little bit on the structure and loosen it up a little bit, eventually you'll get to a point where you're really comfortable with having a loose structure that will keep them, keep them organized. 
The second thing that you need to provide for students is space. And this comes in a couple of forms. First is the physical space. So are, do you have a classroom that allows kids to lay out and on the floor and do and spread out and do work that they need to do. So if they're working on something like a poster, do they have the room to do that? Um, do they have the space to do that? Um, so it could be allowing them to go out in the hallway and work. So we have in our in our schools we we have desks high high. Um, top desks out in the, the hallways that kids can go out to and work out there as well. So it allows them to spread out. One year I was teaching, I had the luxury of having an empty classroom across the hallway from me. And so I asked the principal if it was okay if I use this classroom to split my class into two, and then a lot that gave them more freedom and more room to work. And then I would, I would, you know, navigate between the two classrooms and manage that way. The second type of space I'm talking about is the mental space. So students need to be reassured that you are not micromanaging them, that you are not um, constantly on them or checking on them all the time. Because if you do that, it, it doesn't allow them the freedom to try things. It doesn't allow them the room to be creative. And so giving them mental space means that you are not checking on them every five seconds, but maybe you say in three days, I'll, we're going to have a meeting or a conference and we'll talk about this. Uh, and so they know that in three days they have to get their work done because that's when the, the conference is going to happen. And so giving them the mental space in order to work is going to be really important in establishing the culture in your classroom to allow them to create really interesting products. The third strategy I'm going to talk about is the idea of resources. So my students were creating a lot of different inventive products, and so I needed to make sure I gave them tools in order to do that. So for example, when I had students do research, I had to make sure that I provided laptops that had internet access to them, because uh, that's what we had. We had a laptop cart that had to be signed out. Um, in today's day and age of one-to-one -one devices, most a lot of schools, not all schools, but a lot of schools have, every student has a um, device that's provided by the district. Um, and, and if not, then you need to make sure that you sign out your, your, um, you know, your computer lab or you have, if you have a laptop or iPad card that you're signing those things out, but students have access to these, um, resources that they may need to learn about what they need to learn about. It can also be tools such as markers and pens and rulers, um, and providing paper and providing glue and different things like that. So we had a community office supply closet. And it was actually these little bins that I had in my classroom and kids could go up and get a pencil when they needed one, or they could get markers if they were going to be doing something that involved coloring, or they could get scissors if they had to cut something. So based, and they didn't have to ask to get these things. Uh, the culture that was created in the classroom is that you just got up and, and got whatever you needed at any given time. And I, I was able to supply supply most of these resources. But there were other times where I would have students bring in at the beginning of the year certain supplies, we would put them onto one kind of community uh, basket, and then anyone could access these particular resources. Um, and so the resources are really important because what I didn't want is for students to, to not be able to do work because they didn't have materials that they needed. Now, what this did not involve is it did not involve me buying a lot of like trifolds if they needed to trifold or poster board or you know if they needed to clay because they wanted to create some structure those things i i would require the students to bring in themselves um but but i would provide the tools that they could use to do basic you know work when it came to their particular project the fourth thing that i often provided for students were reminders and this came in three different forms um, so the first that you see here is I usually provided students with a calendar. Sometimes it was a calendar that I had filled out. Sometimes it was a calendar I had them fill out. 
But this calendar was used to organize them and to make sure that they were on task and that they were pacing themselves. Because when you give students a long-term project, it can be a little chaotic with the time management. So having this uh, calendar kind of gave them an idea of where they should be. I always told them they didn't have to be exactly on the day of what they were supposed to be doing, but they needed to be close to it if they were pacing themselves correctly. So they might be a little bit ahead of that. They might be a little bit behind, but they know how to pace themselves to get caught back up or to go deeper into things because they have the time to do that. So a calendar is the first thing that I used. The second thing I used was a rubric. So again, sometimes this was something that I filled out and I had the rubric ahead of time and gave it to them. Sometimes they would create the rubrics themselves. Because I had different students working at different products and different projects, I couldn't make 55 different rubrics. So I taught my students how to make rubrics and then they would create these themselves. And then we would sit down and check over that rubric to make sure it was something that I could use in order to evaluate them. And then they had some ownership in their learning process. So we, we would pull out this rubric when we were moving along and saying, where are you on the rubric? Are you getting to where you need to be? And the rubric kind of acted like a blueprint. So if they followed that rubric, they would be able to build a very successful product that showed mastery. And so we used, we used those rubrics. The third thing came in the form of either a syllabus that I had created that kind of laid out how the project was and, and provided that structure I talked about before. And other times, um, I just gave them a blank contract and had the students create their learning objectives, the skills they were going to learn, what their goals were, and so on and so forth. And so as you see here in this blank, uh, this blank uh, project contract, kids could fill this out. I would check this over. If I approved it, then I would sign it, they would sign it, and then it went home to parents so that they understood that what they were doing was organized. As chaotic as it might seem, it was, it was organized and there was a purpose behind it. So these reminders could often be used when students were getting off task or to just to make sure that they were where they needed to be in order to be successful in what they were working on. The last thing and probably the most important is that you have management of your organized chaos. And what I mean by management is I don't mean ruling over it with an iron fist and being doing discipline right and left. What I mean is just being aware of what is going on through observations, looking at student body language, having conversations with students about how things are going. Um, and so what I found with this organized chaos is rather than going to my desk and sitting down and doing work, I would move around the room constantly and I would go up to students and I would ask them questions. And these questions were used to try to prod them into going a little deeper. So I may say, have you considered this? Or have you thought about that? Or why did you choose to do it the way that you did it? And so these questions were designed to try to get them thinking a little bit more. And so what I found was I had much richer products as a result because, you know, I was kind of pushing them to go to that next level through these conversations. Uh, and the management, it does involve, you know, making sure that if students get into trouble, that you're there to help them. But at the same time, giving them a little room in order to solve those problems themselves. It's very important that they're able to problem solve. And so if a student uh, was working in a group with another student and they weren't getting along, I would give them some time to try to hash that out themselves before I would step in and then kind of, you know, try to solve the problem myself. But I always wanted to give students the room in order to do that. And so I managed that. So those are five um, you know, strategies that you can use in your classroom in order, in order to organize chaos. I highly recommend organized chaos. When I walk into a classroom, when I'm observing and it's really noisy and kids are kind of doing all sorts of different things, but I notice that, that they're usually engaged and the learning is much deeper than it, than it is in a classroom that I go into that's very quiet, that's very, uh, you know, 
strict with the way it's set up. Every student has to be at the, a particular place and they're working at their desk passively. And so I, I do find that classrooms that have this organized chaos tend to be ones where more learning is taking place and where students are, you know, fulfilling their their potential and being able to be creative as a result of this organized chaos.